0: I'm going to invite you this morning as we continue our thoughts on missions, let's go to Acts chapter 1. Oh, there's so many of us in here could quote this verse, and sometimes I'm hesitant to go to really familiar passages because what else can be said? Well, the thing about the Word of God is it can be fresh and new every time we read it. But even so, repetition's good for us, isn't it? To be reminded of some truths. Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. I have found over my years of preaching that when I preach on the Great Commission, I mention the Great Commission, I fold it into another message, and I talk about the primacy of winning people to Christ, baptizing them to the local church, and discipling them in the word of God. I can get all kinds of amens from that. It's all about the Great Commission, y'all. It's all about winning people to Jesus and seeing the water stirred and discipling them in the word of God. That's what this is all about. Amen, preacher. And yet the Great Commission is so often poorly applied or not at all throughout local churches. We all assent to its importance and the need to fulfill it but we rarely seeing it being applied biblically. As a pastor, logistically, I know that a church that is not seeking to fulfill the Great Commission eventually dies, let alone the command of God. If we're not winning people to Christ and getting them in the local church, where does that leave us in 20 years? Where does that leave us in 30 years? And a lot of churches are content to just swap members back and forth. But eventually, even that generation dies off. Then, who are you going to swap? So even if we're not looking at this spiritually, logistically, we got to reproduce ourselves. And the only way to do that is by winning more and more people to Jesus Christ or at the very least endeavoring to do so. And that's where it really gets rough, y'all. It's not that we go out and win pe- try to win people to Christ and get doors slammed in our faces and tracks thrown back at us. That's not the problem. The problem is we're not trying. You see, whether we like it or not, there are some obstacles to the Great Commission. Some obstacles to the Great Commission. Father, I desperately need your help to preach this in the way that you want it preached. So Lord, would you take control and bless your word as you always do. Move me out of the way in whatever way you need to. And may Jesus be lifted up and the Great Commission be central to our thinking this morning. Change us, move us, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We all agree the Great Commission's a big deal. We all agree we ought to be doing it. So, what's the problem? What's the hang up? What's the obstacle? I'd like to offer you three. Here's the first one untapped power. Jesus is speaking and this is the last thing he said before he went to heaven. This is the fifth iteration of the great commission. And he says, "All but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you." There's two main words for power in the New Testament. The first is exousia, which means authority. You see that in Matthew 28, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's talking about authority. All authority is given to me. That's not what he's using here in Acts 1.8. He says, but ye shall receive power. He's not saying you shall receive authority. I have no authority. I've told you many times, I'm not your shepherd. But you're our pastor. You're our shepherd. We're sheep, aren't we? You are indeed. And I'm not your shepherd. The only reason we say that is because the word Pastor Poyman comes from the idea of a shepherd. But by definition, I'm not a shepherd, I'm a sheepdog. We all have the same shepherd, the good, great, and chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm but a sheepdog. The reality of it is, sheepdogs come and go, it's the shepherd that matters. And a shepherd induces that sheepdog with no authority whatsoever. Those sheep don't see that sheepdog sheepdog as having any authority. Simply put, I can't make you do anything. Now, I can bluster and bloviate and yell and scream and kick and fuss and turn the pulpit over, but that's not going to make anything happen. It's going to make me look like an idiot. A sheepdog takes the commands of the shepherd and relays them to the sheep. Now, sometimes it's a nudge, sometimes it's a nip at the heels, sometimes it's a bark. Sometimes it could be anything. By the way, though, before you think the sheepdog's too mean, who do you think goes after the wolves? Those sheep don't like that sheepdog till a wolf shows up, and then the sheepdog's their biggest, their greatest friend. The sheepdog, the sheep don't want to hear what the sheepdog is saying when. Everything's going well, but let a wolf show up. And then all of a sudden they listen. I'm not saying that from a position of I'm mad. I'm not. As far as I know, we're in good shape. I'm just saying, sheepdogs, it's not about their authority. It's about the shepherd issuing commands. And fundamentally, what the sheep need to learn is that sheepdog is answering to the shepherd. And if they don't do what the sheepdog says they need to do, it's not the sheepdog that's their problem. It's the shepherd. See, y'all understand where we're going with this? So when he says, you shall receive power, he's not talking about authority. He's talking about something to be used in the matter of our performance. Instead of exosia, it's dunamis, from where we get our English word dynamite or dynamic. It's explosive transformational power. And we preachers love to make much of that. You shall receive power. Power, explosive power, transformational power, power that makes a difference, power that changes things. We ought have power. And we stop there. Here's the thing, folks. I can preach on dunamis, dynamic power, all day long, but if I fail to tell you where it comes from, I'm not helping you. And here's where it comes from. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So, when Jesus makes this statement in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they don't have the power. They don't get it right then, they get it at Pentecost when the Holy Ghost is given to them and indwells them as believers. When those cloven tongues of fire light down on their heads and they begin to speak in other languages they didn't know before and people hear the wonderful works of God. When 3,000 people got saved from a sermon by Peter, that's when they had the power. You don't get force without the right source. So we claim this power, but we forget that the only way you tap into this power is through the Holy Ghost of God. Oh, well, Andy, if we could just get the Holy Ghost to come down on us. Hey, friends, that's an Old Testament way of doing it. This isn't an Old Testament Baptist church. This is a New Testament Baptist church. Now, I realize we sing Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. I understand what we mean when we say that. But if you think you've got to go looking for the Holy Spirit, then you missed it. Because here's where the Holy Spirit is. Richard, if you're looking for the Holy Spirit, he's not found in this pew over here. He's not found up here at the pulpit. The Holy Spirit's right there and the Holy Spirit's right there and the Holy Spirit's right here and the Holy Spirit's right here the moment you got saved he took up residence in your life and he fulfills the promise that Jesus made I will never leave thee nor forsake thee if you need to get a hold of the Holy Spirit head to a mirror because he lives in you and even though he's that close and that acceptable, accessible, rather, even though he's right there, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission because we have yet to tap the power that is right within us. Can I tell you something? We individuals are in desperate need of an old-fashioned Holy Ghost movement. Our church is in need of it, our families are in need of it, our communities in need of it, our nations in need of it. Old-fashioned holy Ghost revival. And all the organization in the world can't compensate for its lack. You see, programs just like preaching, without power are just performance. Now, we're working. The bus ministry is is up and running again. It's currently a van ministry, and it'll grow into a bus as it grows into a bus. And if you want to be involved in that, you come see me, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. We thank the Lord for that. And we're putting together ideas as to how to have outreach that that is organized in such a way that makes it easy for everybody that wants to, to get involved. And that's all great. But if we don't have Holy Ghost power on it, it's just a performance. We can organize till the cows come home. Some of my messages are very, very organized. And I mean, they got everything in them you could imagine. They got transitional statements and they got interrogative statements and they've got illustrations and they've got conclusions and they got, I mean, everything I was taught in homiletics. But if they don't have the touch of the Holy Ghost on them, they're just not going to do you a whole lot of good. Untapped power. You say, well, I've never really thought of the Holy Ghost being really involved in evangelism. (laughs) John 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of what? Spirit. You better hope the Holy Spirit's involved in your evangelism. Because if he's not, it's not evangelism. Hey, I got somebody out there, and they agreed to come to church. That's great, but that's not evangelism. I'm all for people coming to church. And you won't believe it. I got somebody to sign up to be a Republican. That ain't evangelism. <laughs> sign them up to be any political party isn't evangelism. I got somebody to agree with me that, that this is wicked. Fantastic. That's not evangelism. Right. Evangelism is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the eternal, eternal transaction of salvation, that's evangelism. Doing the work of an evangelist is all about the gospel, not about turning somebody's leaf over. It's not about getting them a new way of thinking or a new life. To, to No, it's about telling people that of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only way they get a hold of that is the Holy Ghost. John 15, verse 26, But when the Comforter has come, I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. So when Brother Johnny comes up on somebody that's not saved and he's giving him the gospel, that's great. But what you need is you need Holy Ghost power because it's the Holy Ghost is the one that starts drawing them to Jesus. He's the one that starts wooing people. And I don't care how slick a salesman you might be in your gospel presentation, if the Holy Ghost isn't at work, that person's not going, get saved. So before we go out to win somebody to Christ, we better have some Holy Ghost power going on in our lives because nobody's getting saved without him. And sometimes the Great Commission is behind the obstacle of untapped power. Number two, another obstacle, unfollowed progression. Now what do I mean by that? Life is full of progressions, isn't it? Um, For instance, before I could complete sixth grade, I had to finish kindergarten through fifth grade. That was a progression. And then after sixth grade, I could go to seventh grade, then eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade, 12th grade. So if you want to get a high school diploma, there's a progression. But then to go to college, there are more progressions, aren't there? If you're going to take EN 102, you have what's called a prerequisite. You have to take EN 101. It's a progression. So education has progressions about it, doesn't it? Families have a progression, ideally, right? First comes love. Then comes marriage. Then comes the baby in the baby carriage. It's a progression. Okay? It's a progression. Medicine has a progression, doesn't it? If if I'm having surgery, I hope they've gone through the right progressions. All right, Andy, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and open up your chest, and then we're going to put you under. No, I'd rather you put me under first, please. Truth be told, if there's something we can do other than the chest opening, I'd rather do that. I'd like you to follow the right progression. And by the way, from the view of education, I hope the doctor has followed the right progressions in medical school too. Quarterbacks. None of my teams have one currently. And you Dallas fans don't have one either. Quarterbacks follow what's called progressions they will look at their primary receiver and then a secondary receiver, and then they've got a, if the play's busted, they've got a, a release valve, you know, progressions. When I used to work for Beringer-Ingelheim, we had a very important progression. It was called lockout-tagout. And if you were working on a piece of machinery, you had to go through the lockout-tagout progression to make sure that nobody would be harmed by an unintended power, you know, power surge or something like that. You better follow that progression. So we're used to progressions. Our lives are full of them. Why is it we think that our faith and the Great Commission doesn't follow a progression? If it's involved in everything else in our lives, why are we surprised to find out that Jesus gives us a clear progression for evangelism? You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. What's that? That's a progression. Now, there's two ways of looking at that, and I think they're both useful. First of all is a regional progression. You're going to start in Jerusalem, and then you're going to fan out to Judea, and then you're going to go from there to Samaria, and then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, remember, that was Jesus' plan. They didn't follow that progression, did they? They stayed in Jerusalem. So what did Jesus use to make them follow the progression, persecution. When God doesn't rule, he overrules. He's going to accomplish what he wants accomplished. So for us, what, what is our application? We have a responsibility for Wythe County and the surrounding area. That's our Jerusalem. That's our Jerusalem. Our Judea, I would say, is southwest Virginia and the area around that. What's our Samaria, Appalachia? And what's our world, the nation and beyond? So what's our progression? I don't care how robust our missions program is in sending missionaries to Cambodia and um, New Zealand and Australia and all through Europe and Africa and South America We better be careful that we don't put all of our effort into that and with county dies and goes to hell. Or southwest Virginia can die and go to hell. Or Appalachia, our nation. The point is there's a progression. It's not just true as far as regional, it's true relational as well. Who's my Jerusalem? My family and my close friends. Yep. Who's, who's my Judea? My friends and neighbors and coworkers and classmates. Who's my Samaria? Those people that I associate with, I know who they are, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we're close. And then my world is the unknown masses. Now, here's where this applies. Writing a check for missions does not absolve us from our responsibility to reach our neighbor. Just because you write a check doesn't make you missions-minded, missions-hearted. Do not expect God to bless our efforts in world evangelism if we make no effort in home evangelism. There's a list a mile long of preachers that preach great missions conferences, and their kids died and went to hell. My number one responsibility as far as evangelism is to make sure my kids are going to heaven. Amen. And if they don't go to heaven, then they're drugging into hell over my dead body. Because I did everything I could. We think about great names like Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, how many thousands and millions of people were saved under his ministry, but his kids languished. Hey, dads, don't you think you've done something because you volunteered to take a missionary to the airport when you don't sit down with your kids and tell them how much Jesus loves them? We're responsible. We're just as responsible for our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and our friends. That's all part of it, and we better learn to follow the progression. By the way, the opposite can be applied too. Don't pray and beg God to save those close to you if you take no care for those that are out there either. We're either concerned about souls or we're not. It's quiet in here. It's quiet as it was last week, and I'm not nearly as mean. You see, untapped power can get in the way of the Great Commission, and unfollowed progression can get in the way of the Great Commission. But here's the third thing. And I think maybe this one is, is the one that we really ought to focus on. And then uh, that's an offered prayer. People forget what really energizes evangelism. Go to chapter 2 of Acts, verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with who? With who? The Holy Ghost. Began to speak with other tongues. Let me, let me say something there. And I'm not at all trying to be unkind here. Some of the godliest people that I've ever known in life have been people that embrace different forms of charismatic theology as it relates to tongues and sign gifts. There are people in the church of God and people in other charismatic churches that love the Lord Jesus, and I'm not at all questioning that. But I don't believe the Bible teaches that sign gifts are in place for today. I believe when the Bible was completed, that 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 secured our credibility as ministers of the gospel and that sign gifts went out. Okay? And when you study this out, you find out that these tongues with which they're speaking are not heavenly utterances. They are legitimate languages and dialects understood by the people that were gathered at Jerusalem. The miracle of tongues was not in the speaking. It was in the hearing because there were more languages being heard than people to speak them. And by the way, what did they hear? The gospel. Tongues that don't teach you anything really aren't very good, useful for anything, are they? Andy, do you believe in speaking in tongues? I do if the 15, 16 or so qualifications are being met that are given in the Bible. Problem is you can't meet them all. So don't come to me speaking in tongues without an interpreter at the very least. It's amazing how interpreters are always missing. Anyway, but I'm not trying to be unkind. We just don't believe that they're still around. There's good people that are caught up in that, and they love the Lord. I just I disagree with them. So we see the appearance of the Holy Ghost filling the believers. What a wonderful, wonderful moment that was, and it, it still resonates today. This same thing, we don't need another Pentecost, y'all. The one we had is still working just fine. Let's see. So what brought that about? Go back to verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he Jesus had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. By the way, he was taken up, but he wasn't taken away. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as they went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. By the way, they're not talking about the rapture. We do believe in the rapture, but they're talking about when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom, his millennial kingdom. That's what they're talking about. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So what is the next thing we see them doing following the Great Commission? This intermediary time between the issuing of the Great Commission and the appearance of the Holy Spirit. What do we see them doing? Verse 13, And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in what? Prayer and supplication. What did they begin doing after the commission and continue doing right up until the day of Pentecost? They prayed. They prayed. Even here is a progression. You shall become witnesses after you get Holy Ghost power. But when do you get Holy Ghost power? After you've prayed. See, it's one thing to have the Holy Ghost within you. That's true of all of us. But to have his power involves prayer. And we can claim to be serious about winning souls all we want to, but if we're not willing to pray about it, we're not very serious about it. What ushered in the Holy Ghost at Pentecost? Prayer. And we can never expect our evangelistic efforts to be blessed without prayer. Prayer We all know the great commissions needed. We all know it's necessary. We know it's right, and yet we don't see it. We don't see it like we should in our churches. Why? Could be because of untapped power. We've not involved the Holy Ghost. could be because of unfollowed progression. We've gotten things out of order, or it could be because of unoffered prayer. We need to get busy about praying. Oh, we're working on outreach opportunities and cottage prayer meetings and all that kind of thing. We're working on all of that, but none of that stops you from taking care of that at home. None of that stops me from kneeling down beside my bed and praying for souls. None of that stops me from handing a tract to somebody. doesn't stop me, doesn't stop you. And before we get at this thing organizationally, we got to get at it personally, don't we? But let me tell you what happens. We start getting serious about this thing, and people we've been praying for to be saved for a long time, all of a sudden they start getting saved. You want to energize a church? Baby Christians do it every time. Every time. Baby Christians make a mess. They sure do. Just like babies make a mess. But Jesus said, "You want, you, you, want, you want... Cribs that are dirty, not clean, right? That's what we want. So let's stand. Our so what? Let's get about praying. Let's get about using his power. Let's follow our progressions. And let's get about the Great Commission.